Hi, this is Rex, and this is the Wild Only Podcast. Today's guest is Dave Norris, coming out of the big island of Hawaii. He is a pest control pig trapper for golf courses. Um, some of the topics that he's going to be covering is hunting wild sheep and goat, feral cows, Molokai axis deer, upland game bird hunting of the big island, and much more. This guy's full of information, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So tell me about your uh, pig trapping. Is that still something you're taking part of? Yeah, so I kind of, um, when I moved back home, I, I had a friend who, who was actually on the Discovery Channel show, uh, Hogs Gone Wild. And uh, he, was, he was actually a marine biologist studying marlin uh, reproduction. Um, and he was, he was from Australia, a marine biologist. And, and his story is kind of like somebody asked him, hey, do you trap pigs? And he's just like, does it pay? And they're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, of course I do. Because he was, he was also a hunter. So he's just an Australian badass. So he's like, fuck yeah, mate. Oh, I yeah. trap pigs. Oh, mate. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, and so he, he got this contract at, at a golf course. It's a private golf course in South Kona. And, um, so when I moved back, I was like, Hey man, I'm, you know, I, right before I moved back, I lived in Vermont. My brother, my brother's in-laws family, like his father-in-law lives in Vermont, Northern Vermont, kind of up in the forest. Okay. And, uh, that guy, he builds log cabins. And so I was up there working with him and, you know, I had some extra money. So, uh, I bought a rifle and fully like outfitted myself with hunting gear. Cause I was like, I'm moving back to Hawaii and I'm going to hammer some animals. Um, and, uh, I'd always really wanted to get into it when I was living here and growing up, but just never, I always spent my money on uh, dive gear and fishing gear and surfing and all that stuff. But you felt like um, in your genetics, there was a, a hunter background in you. You just didn't know yet. Oh yeah. Or you almost like you yeah, did yeah. know it sounds like, but you just hadn't tapped into it yet. Oh, totally. Cause I would go back and visit New Zealand and I would always go shooting with my cousins and do it, but I just never really got serious about it. I could totally relate to that. And, um, yeah, but no, I'm going to let you go ahead. Cause this is, uh, this is the part of the story that we need to hear. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah. So, um, back to my Australian friend, I'm like, Hey man, um, let's, let's go hunt. And he's like, well, I got to go. Um, there's this pig that I'm not getting in the traps, so I got to go in there. And so I went in there with him and I basically, he's just like, Oh yeah. Hey, I, you know, I can't pay you. And I was like, Hey, I just want to come and help out and learn. And, you know, long story short with that, he was just like, Hey, um, you're good at this now and you, you understand, you know, this is let's fast forward six months. Um, and he basically gave me, um, all the shifts. So we, we take care of all the pig trapping on this golf course and private subdivision. And I go in Monday to Friday, uh, first thing in the morning, which is, I mean, right now it's getting light right at five thirty, five forty-five. I go in, I get one of the, you know, gator, four-wheel drive you know little golf cart things totally and uh we have about 15 traps all across the course and basically go in and check the traps bait the traps and then fix any damage so if the pigs tear up a green or a fairway what do you bait the traps with um mostly we use mac nuts so we have really big mac nut farms here 
and they always have a bunch of off Mac nuts. So the ones that are attacked by the boar beetles or rotten. So we get these one ton bags of uh, off grade Mac nuts. And that's kind of like crack to the pigs. They just go nuts for Mac nuts. Oh, I bet. Cause it's just like a, it's just full of calories and Oh yeah, that's a good. And then yeah, I don't blame the pigs. I love those mac nuts. I just can't afford them over here in California. Oh yeah, oh I know. And so we do that, and then there's mangoes and papayas and all kinds of random fruit that are on that property. And so we go in and, um, yeah, I've been I've been doing that for about four years now. And then at the same time, I've built my own cage traps, and I go and I you know. It basically as a private contractor to um, homeowners and and you know even here in town along the fringes or like uh, green corridors where there's empty lots or forest or whatnot a lot of the pigs will come in and tear people's yards up especially when it starts to get uh, dry season the pigs will come in for the irrigation and all the irrigated land and what they do is actually um, they'll they'll get water but when they dig um they're digging for the bugs and the worms they smell the bugs under the grass oh and in the dirt gosh, that's wild. and they dig them up yeah so pigs have a real insane um sense of smell and um yeah they use them for truffle and truffle so i've been I, I remember hearing yeah. about that yeah exactly i mean and that those are like the the trained specialized animals that they um, because basically they smell them underneath the dirt and that like, that's crazy. Wow. And that just, so your Australian friend just out of nowhere, he's like, can I have some help? Boom. I can't pay you. And you're just there to just cause you wanted to do it cause it sounded cool. Next thing you know, oh, fast yeah. forward, it's four years later and this is what you're doing full time. Yeah. So Monday, Monday through Friday, I go in, um, for a couple hours every morning and, uh, you know, take care of all that, fix the damage. And yeah, it's, it's really great. And then I get to keep all the pigs basically. Oh, that's um, rough, man. You just get all that meat. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's funny. It, it's, you do it all the time and everyone's like, Oh man, that must be so awesome. And then I catch a pig and I'm like, damn, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> I got to deal with a pig now. <laughs> and, and, and really like a whole, a whole part of, um, what I love about that though, on the other side is I've, I've really, um, I've really wanted to be generous cause, cause I feel like I have this immense privilege of, uh, essentially hunting and trapping real exclusive land that a lot of people would really want to be on. They would pay and, top and dollar get, to be what you're doing for work. Oh yeah. And I mean, and that's great too, but, but like with, with the meat and with the pigs, I've really wanted to like, um, help distribute, you know, basically I'm distributing that meat. I'm filling my freezer, my friends, my family, my parents live here still. And then also distributing it to locals in, in town, you know, and just a couple of days ago, I dropped off a bunch of meat to a friend and on Sunday, I'm going to take more meat to another guy. And, um, and it's been really cool because that's also been uh, a really good friendship builder for me. Um, and making a lot of connections is because because that's um, Hawaii kind of has like you probably experienced it. it, it it's a tribal um, culture, and so the culture is you know it's it's not like Western society 
kind of is like a very individualistic kind of totally make kind of deal. But in Hawaiian culture, it was like, it was a village and, and the village would take care of each other, you know? So you would, there would be the fishermen, there'd be the farmers, there'd be the this and that, and everyone would bring it together. And, and the whole village would kind of, um, take care of each other. Right. So you're the meat man. And so exactly. And you know, I have, I have a really good friend here that I grew up with. He's a commercial ahi tuna fisherman. And, and he, like, even before I was giving him stuff, he would come in and he'd just be like, Hey, I got some fish for you. I'm like, what? You know, and it's like prime ahi tuna. Damn, just like caught that Yellow. day probably, huh? Oh, a hundred percent. And so it, that, that's a big culture here that like, um, it, it's not really like it, it has become that in, in what, some ways, but in its purest form, um, the Hawaiian and kind of Polynesian culture is like a, um, it's a generosity. It's, it's a giving and receiving culture, not a buying and selling culture. That's beautiful. Just taking care and of your neighbors in your community. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so it's been just like a real beautiful thing as I've engaged with that and, and really like, um, ask me about, uh, feral cattle um that kind of ties into that as well where i've been able to do that we can talk about that later um but just being able to be generous with like the skills that i have and the job that i have has really opened up like tons of doors for me to hunt and just you know just stoke people out and that, and that's something that you know like yeah i get paid to do that i i could sell the meat i could sell whole pigs but i just I kind of decided early on that that wasn't the path that I was going to take with it. That's beautiful, man. The, the it sounds to me that everything happens for a reason, and that job doesn't. It's a very exclusive job. Like how many, you can't talk to many people and say I'm a pig trapper in 2017, and to hear that you have the ethics and the responsibility, and you're taking the responsibility of not only doing the job and taking care of that if you want to call it problem and you're, you know, taking a step further and going ahead and distributing the meat and doing the best ethical thing you can do. And, uh, that's highly respectable. And, um, I think it's a good, uh, all around circle to me. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and for me as well, you know, like being, being a white person, being an immigrant to Hawaii, I mean, I, I can't remember anything else than growing up in Hawaii for me. But at the same time, given the like the history of Hawaii with white people and and with um, the United States, um, there's a lot of animosity towards white people. I mean, I grew up going to public school here and I got beat up and I got picked on because of my skin color, um, you know, wow. and honestly, in, in a way very similar to how African-American people would have been treated, you know, in the early 1900s in Southern USA. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, physically and, getting beat up, man. That, that must have been rough. Like these were, did this go on from like what grades just for the whole time or? Um, probably started like in third grade. So that's when I first went to public school. Um, I went to a private kindergarten and private first or third, third grade. Um, but you know, for me, it was, it was, uh, just because I was white. Um, and, 
And there's a lot of hatred um, in Hawaii towards white people because essentially white people stole the kingdom of Hawaii from their queen. And it, it's a really, really sad story. And so for me, like with the pig trapping um, and the meat that I give back, for me, it's kind of, it's not like penance, but it, it's like a respect of being like, hey, I'm, a, I'm from here, but I'm also a visitor from here. And, and here's, here's how I'm going to give back. And, you know, almost in, in a way, like say sorry. And once you gain your, their respect and love, you know, it's, it's like, you're one of the family and, and I have local guys who will see me and they'll say, Hey, what's up Hawaiian to me. And I'm like, I'm not Hawaiian at all. But, but the reality is like my mindset and my heart is very much Hawaiian. Uh, my skin is very much not. I'm still very aware that I am not Hawaiian. I would never claim that. Um, but through kind of, you know, the meat man, I guess, activities and my surf and, you know, catching big waves and getting good waves and just the way that I've decided to live my life in that more um, uh, being generous rather than buying and selling type mentality. Um I've been accepted by a lot of local people and, and it's, it's been one of the, you know, highlights of my entire life and, and my experiences is interacting with, um, Hawaii essentially. Man, that's mind blowing. I, yeah. You're quite the character, man. I, I, it's just really cool to hear all these, um, just how you were brought up. It's pretty awesome. It, it sounded like, um, Thanks. you wanted to touch bases on some of the wild, uh, wild cattle. Is that what you were saying? Wild cattle? Yeah. Yeah. So I can give a little context for the, the game animals that we have here in Hawaii. Um, and especially with the, um, the cattle in the late 1700s, uh, Captain George Vancouver was, a you know, sailor, explorer, whatever you want to call him. He came in and basically he gave, I think it was seven or nine head of cattle to um, King Kamehameha as a gift. And so um, the pigs were the first ones that came in, even before like the actual Hawaiian culture with the early Polynesian settlers. They came in on the canoes and then the cattle and the sheep and the deer, um, which are kind of some of our main animals, are the axis deer? They came in as gifts from. Are the axis deer? They're from India or something. I, I've heard a friend talk about them before. He mentioned India. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So they're they're native to like northern India, kind of Asia area, um, and they're known there as cheetah deer, um, and they're kind of yeah forest jungle um, deer and. I was actually just in Molokai and I can talk more about that. So Molokai um, or Molokai, Lanai and Maui um, are the three main islands where there's axis deer. And um, all, all of those animals were um, gifts to the kings, essentially, were businessmen and um, traders. So the main kind of deal back in the day in Hawaii was these ships would come in and they're like, you know, what the heck is this paradise, you know? And, um, 
there was the sovereign kingdom of Hawaii. There was a kingdom and a nation here um, that was governed by kings and queens and a you know autonomous government. And uh, so these people came in, and obviously they you'd come in and be like, hey, you pay respect to the king and give them a gift and whatnot. Um, so the majority of our game animals came in that way and have very, very uh, high cultural significance. Unfortunately, our um, Department of Land and Natural Resources doesn't always um, see that, and there's a lot of eradication. Um, there's a lot of knee-jerk eradication and not very good game management here. Um, but with the cattle, those were something specifically on the Big Island um, that uh, King Kamehameha, he released them into the wild as a food source. And so, and seeing, hey, the only real solid uh, animal resource we have here is fish. Um, I want to provide another resource for my people. And so you fast forward, I don't know what it was, 70 or 80 years, and you've got tens of thousands of these feral cattle running around on the island. Just starting from and nine was, cattle that you said. Yeah. Nine cattle turned yes. into like 40,000 cattle. And this is Just over all the islands, that, Molokai or the Big Island. I, I lost you on that part. That's mostly on the Big Island. So, so I'm talking specifically about the Big Island. And so there's thousands of these cattle. And basically what was starting to happen were travelers going between towns were getting attacked. They were coming in and grazing in the towns. And they actually built a big wall around Kona, Kailua, um, where I live now. And it's called it's the Great Wall, Kuakini Wall. And, and basically what happened was they realized... Um, we got an issue here and they actually brought in uh, Mexican and Portuguese cowboys and that basically birthed the whole cattle industry and ranching industry here in Hawaii. It was, they call those and, the pan, uh, paniolos, correct? Yeah, paniolos. Paniolos. And my mother, she bought me yeah. a, a Hawaiian belt buckle uh, from a long time ago and it, it said, you know, the Hawaiian paniolo, and I thought it was so cool because, you know, every kid wants to be like a cowboy, you know. So yeah. that's, you know, that this is funny because I didn't know the whole story about it. I just knew that they, they called them the paniolos, and they're the ranchers and cowboys of uh, Hawaii. Yeah, and so that's been like one of the major um, industries here on the big island like big island beef is still a big thing at the parker ranch and um at one point i'm it it isn't the case now but at one point in recent time the parker ranch here on the big island was one of the biggest privately owned cattle ranches in the whole of the united states and um basically i think his name was john parker uh he fell in love with the daughter of kamehameha and I think he bought something like a thousand acres for, you know, something stupid, like $200, you know, Jeez. In, in the 18, it was, I, I forget all the details. Yeah, it was just some ridiculously um, small number of uh, money and just oh, yeah. huge amounts of acres. And, and then he falls in love with the King's daughter and then he marries her and the King gives him something like a hundred thousand acres as a wedding gift. Wow. And um, Parker Ranch is still one of the largest landowners here on the Big Island. 
Um, and it, it has been, I mean, really Kailua, Kona, uh, the town was established uh, kind of in more modern times and commercially as a port for exporting cattle. It was uh, historically kind of a, a vacation spot for Hawaiian royalty. So there's a palace right in town that was kind of like the vacation home for the kings and queens. Wow. Uh, but then later on, it became a place where they would swim the cattle out to barges. They would all, you know, they'd go inland, round up the cattle, bring them in, and then ship them off to Honolulu for export for the meat market. How often are you uh, taking, um, harvesting these cattle? Uh, is this on public land? You're a contractor, correct? And they, they're having trouble, problems with their land with these wild cows? Yeah, so we've been uh, taking part in the the state has been running a lottery hunt, and so we go up in and, and the state brings us into a you know the top of a state forest reserve, um, and it's basically gone to the point where you know I I don't know they would have to spend a lot of money and I don't know if they have the time and resources to completely remove the wild cattle. And personally, I wouldn't want that because it's such an amazing resource for the public. Um, but they are at a level where there's too many in the forest reserve. Um, and it's really destroying a lot of native forests. So it's good that they're getting the numbers down. And I've also been doing uh, some removal of volunteer work on private land. And basically, um, you know, removing cattle. Removing cattle. We're going in there and hunting them. And deep, yeah, basically in remote, we're in there with ATVs and side-by-sides. Vehicles can't really get in there. Deboning, you know, 10 to 15 cows every time. Wow. And bringing, bringing back, you know, you know, two to 3,000 pounds of raw unprocessed meat. Now, and, and that, that amount of meat, I know the, the, amount of giving that away could be difficult but at the same time the prices of groceries there i mean you might be saving people's lives for them the cost of living out there and you're coming down this mountain with three thousand pounds of meat um how how do you get rid of that is do people do you just kind of go to a location and kind of call up some people or yeah well this this particular agreement we have um with the area that we're, I'm, I'm being cryptic because I need to be. Um, but we have an agreement with them that we will distribute a certain percentage, uh, to local Hawaiians. And so what we're doing is actually going to, um, we have specific neighborhoods that are, um, the state builds for native Hawaiians. And so if you're a native Hawaiian, uh, you'll, you'll get on, a list and essentially get a house. Um, I don't know all the details, but it's, it's basically like a subdivision that's all native Hawaiians. And so we've, um, we've kind of decided to do that and distribute the, um, a lot of times it's anywhere from, you know, honestly for me, it's like half of the meat I'm getting is going directly to native Hawaiians in these Hawaiian homelands, uh, housing associations. 
And so I have a few contacts who know what we're doing and we basically say, Hey, we're going up the mountain. Be ready tonight. I'll come back and I'll unload five, 600 pounds of meat on one or two different people. And they distribute it, you know, throughout this whole, you know, I don't know, three, 400 people who live in that subdivision. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, for me right now, my freezer is like slammed. It's so full. And so I came back with the other half, you know, which is another three, 400 pounds of meat. And I'm just distributing that amongst my friends and family and people I know. Um, and because they're feral cattle and they're hiking up and down mountains, they're, they're, uh, fairly lean and they're they're fairly tough so we generally um depending every once in a while we'll get some nice animals but we're we're kind of making hamburger and kind of grinding most of the meat um but it's oh my goodness it's some of the best lean grass-fed free-range beef that you've ever had to beef straight out of the jungle of hawaii i mean come on that is so oh, yeah. awesome and what, what's your typical method of take? Are you just using a rifle or a bow, a uh, handgun? I see you on your Instagram. It's all, you're all over the place with the weapons. Yeah, well, with, with the cattle, it's generally we're, we're rifle. I got a 270 and a 308. I've been using 308. And we, we generally try to get a headshot so we're not damaging any meat. Yeah, certainly. You and don't hear too many hunters some say the, that they're going for headshots, but I guess with a cow, it's pretty big, and it's not exactly uh, like hunting an elk or something like that. Are, are they hard to get close to? Um, it can be. I mean, and and that's why, like, it was really funny when when my wife um, first heard that I was going to start doing this. She's like, "You're kidding me, right?" <laughs> and she has like she has this should. picture of like, <laughs> oh, you know, like this fenced-in cow who's like in a pasture, and you're like really? What are you like going up and petting it and milking it and then just popping it behind the head? And, <laughs> That's rough. and then I actually, I took her up into a forest reserve just to go on like a little picnic hike thing. And we actually saw some wild cattle and she was like, Oh my gosh, that was nuts. And they're, they're like crazy dude. They, they like, they're super skittish. They're super smart. And they're, they're hard to hunt sometimes. Sometimes it's not super hard, but um, they're, they're wild animals. And they've been wild animals for almost 300 years. Wow. So when you factor that in, they're not just like some cows that got loose. They're like naturalized, you know, I would almost go so far to say as like uh, a subspecies of cattle evolved to the landscape of Hawaii. So we would have a very distinct feral cattle. Damn, not many people come across wild cattle like that. You know, they've actually almost taken on like, it's almost like you're like the cattle that we have in, you know, farms is, you know, a farm animal. And it, it's like the, the diversity of, you know, looking out at a, you know, wild mule deer, like versus one that would be in a reserve that the, the acting on, you yeah. know, you go to Yosemite, you can go right up and take a picture next to a deer. And whereas if you're in, you know, a public land and it's hunting seats and those deer you know, it almost takes on that persona of like a, just a wild animal. And it, it knows that it, 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 I'm assuming it knows it's being hunted, correct? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And they've, I mean, we've been doing this specific, um, one that I've been talking about for the past two, three months. 
and they're getting smart and it's getting harder and harder and harder to, you know, get the numbers that we have and, and to even, you know, we can get up pretty close. I mean, if you're a skilled hunter, um, you know, we had one guy take one with a bow just cause he wanted to. Um, and we, we usually go in with a team of, you know, five to 10 people. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's exciting. And in, in a different time, I've had friends who like shot one and then a big bull will come in and charge them and they're running for their lives, climbing trees and, you know, it's gnarly. They, they'd, they'd straight kill you. You know, they're 1500 to 2000 pound animals. Yeah. They have no problem going through any human. Um, oh yeah. What, what's your gear preferences when you're out doing, um, not only this kind of hunt, but any kind of hunt, what, what are your, uh, top gear picks for whether it be clothing or boots is, do you have any specific companies you like? Yeah, definitely. I've, in terms of like my clothing, I've kind of, you know, tested, I, I started with the like Walmart cotton, you know, camouflage and you know like the cheap real tree whatever you know brand stuff and you know it was great and jeans that were you know they're camouflage but they're denim jeans and and it works but I um uh the same Australian guy when he was on the Discovery Channel show that I mentioned he got um sponsored by this company called First Light um, and so he let me borrow a set of his camo and they specialize in merino wool and I like fell in love with the stuff. Um, and it kind of sounds funny cause like you're wearing wool. I'm like, yeah, I, I wear a hundred percent wool when I hunt here in Hawaii. And, uh, first light is an amazing company that, um, has kind of popped up. I don't know how long, maybe in the past five or six years, um, and uh, I've actually been able to, they've uh, let me join their research and development team. And so essentially they give me um, a discount on gear and I do a lot of reviewing and um, check, you know, testing of their gear. Um, but I had all their gear before they even did that. And my, you know, sentiment has not changed one bit, you know, because of that. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've just really, really loved their stuff in terms of boots. I've, I've used, I kind of almost exclusively used Danner boots. Um, I, I, you know, bought a pair of their, you know, cheaper, I guess, pair to start off with and loved them. And so I bought some of their, um, recraftable, you know, USA made boots, um, after that. And I've just, I think I've owned four or five, I probably got four or five pairs of those right now. Um, and because I, I hunt lava fields, I hunt wet rainforest, I hunt dry alpine forest. I've kind of got three or four different styles that I use. And yeah, I really love that. Um, one of my best friends loves Irish setter boots and I've just never tried them. I kind of just, like the ones that I got and kind of stuck with that. If it ain't broke, can't fix it. Don't fix it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, ha- and you know something? Check out the, the, the first light gear. Cause I, you know, I've seen it all over, you know, with Steven Ranella and especially yeah. the Marino wool. I've heard so many good things about it where it, it, 
when you start sweating, it just retains the, the moisture and kind of wicks it away, correct? And you could just be hiking up a mountain up in, you know, 12,000 yeah. feet in Mauna Kea and you're kind of more safe than just wearing cotton or something like that. Oh, a hundred percent. And I was, I was just on Molkai hunting. I probably hunted four or five times. And so you hunt morning and then go home and then hunt evening. And I didn't wash my gear until I left and I sweated like crazy. And I would get home and let it dry out and then I'd throw it back on for an evening sit and it would not stink one bit. Like no joke. Like I have merino boxer shorts, the pants and the long sleeve and any other stuff that I was wearing, man, you, you wear it once and sweat in it and you put it back on. You know what that smells like? Straight balls. Yep. It reminds me of my uh, and, hockey gear when I was a kid. Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And zero. Like, I could not believe it. I was washing it at the end of our trip because it had, like, dirt and blood on it, not because it stank. <laughs> dirt and blood on it. Hopefully it was the uh, the animal you were taking and not yours. Yeah, yeah. No, I was no, – you, you I, I got a couple. You took a big horn from a wild bull or something. Yeah. That's crazy. What kind of uh, what kind of game were you taking out there in Molokai? So Molokai is uh, axis deer. They also have pigs, but when I go over there, I've got a few friends, and um, yeah, I've gone. This is my second trip, and um, I took uh, two does, and my friend got three bucks. I I missed a trophy buck at 30 yards and I'm still a little sensitive about it. Um, st still, still kind of hurting. Cause it was, it was kind of like a, not a once in a lifetime. Cause over there there's so many deer, but it, it was a trophy. Um, but basically we were sitting in this kind of thick, uh, scrub forest and it, it walked up to my right kind of at about three o'clock. Um, you know, directionally wise and, uh, at about 30 yards and just surprised us and had two bucks right in front of him and they were almost on us. So it was the kind of thing where I had to turn around and shoot instantly or they were going to spook. And I just, I just got way too excited. Like I'm used to taking calculated spot and stock kind of shots, um, long, longer, medium to longer range, you know, like two to 500 yard shots. Um, ideally I'm doing a 200 to a hundred to 200 yard shot. Um, and that's kind of was my, my whole mentality when I went, cause the last trip was longer shots and all of a sudden there's a trophy at 30 yards and I look in the scope and it was zoomed in. And I just saw fur and just shot straight over it. Uh, got, you got a little trigger was, happy buck fever. Uh, yeah, exactly. But you know what? It was, it was really cool because, um, what it did was, I mean, I was, I was sick. I just, we, we hung out at my friend's house and they were all hanging out talking story. And I was just sitting there silent, just like grieving, just crying inside. Like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> feeling all sorry, feeling all sorry for myself. And I mean, anyone, you know, listening who had shot and missed something, you know, the feeling it sucks. It's like the worst thing ever. It's almost as bad. The worst thing is it's happened once 
and I really pride myself in either not taking the shot or um, making sure that I'm just so good with my gear that um, it doesn't happen. I've missed a, you know, I've missed a few times, but there's one time where I hit an animal and injured it, and it got away, and I didn't find it, and that's the worst feeling I've ever felt hunting. I just, I hate that. Really. Um, and this was out of your whole just, experience with hunting. This has only happened once. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one time, um, I've, I've made bad shots before and in, in different situations, but I've always been able to bring the follow-up shot and take, take it down. Wow. Um, sounds like you take some ethical but, shots though, because once, you know, I I've heard that it's a, it could sometimes, sometimes be a common thing with some hunters, you know, and I think you're doing pretty good. And to have that, that kind of grief over that is, you know, natural. Yeah, totally. And then, you know what? And then the next day I just was like, you know what? That's not a a super selfish mentality. Cause it was all about like, it was an ego thing. It was totally an ego thing. And for me, like I'm really trying to get to the place um, where hunting is bigger than just like a trophy. And of course I want a trophy. I mean, I'm looking up to my left and I'm looking at a nice mouflon sheep that's mounted on my wall. You know, I love a trophy. I'm not going to bash it. Um, But for me, hunting is so much more than like a rack on the wall. Um, And, and for, for me going to Molokai the last couple of times, it was about making new friends. It's about harvesting the meat, like axis deer venison is my favorite meat in the entire world. Um, Axis venison is some of the healthiest, leanest, uh, protein-packed meat that you can get uh, in terms of wild game. And and so, man, you're getting me it was really cool. I get out there. I need to get out to Molokai. I, I've heard oh, from many people who've hunted it. They say, man, it, it, everyone who's done it, they say it's the best meat they've ever had in their entire life. So if I keep oh, hearing 100%. this and now you're saying it, you know, the pig trapper of Hawaii is saying it. I got to go try that. Yeah, I, I got like five or six pounds of it marinating in my fridge right now <laughs> that I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat as soon as we're done. How are you going to cook it? Um, I I basically, I got the back straps and I cut thin slices and uh, teriyaki style. So I'm just going to basically sear it. And then uh, serve it with rice and sweet potatoes and veggies. And oh man, when you just said sweet potatoes, are you talking about those purple ones, the Hawaiian purple? Yep. sweet? Oh my goodness, I've never felt yep. a food okay. nourish my body so well. Like, I, I mean, not a food, a plant, like a plant food. Yeah. I lived off of those purple potatoes when I was out there. Yeah, Okinawa sweet potatoes. Man, there's something about those. They, there's just like energy and life in them. Oh yeah, they're they're awesome. One of my one of my friends' dads made a hybrid of like this white sweet potato and the purple one. And basically, it looked like a swirly white purple sweet potato. <laughs> those were like unreal. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. They're those are probably my favorite vegetable or root, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, who knows what it? Yeah, exactly what it is. But uh, it was funny when I flew home, I was like, I need to just eat more potatoes. That's the thing. And I'd like, you know, put bur- uh, potatoes in my burritos and whatever, but it just didn't like hit the spot. Like you, you'd almost eat it. And then like, you would kind of get high off of it almost like your energy levels. You'd just be like 
ready to go. That's how I felt. But yeah. I don't know if it was just because I was stoked on being in Hawaii. But man, when you cook them, you spread the potato, you break it open, and it's just like neon purple. It's like something you've never seen before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I don't even like potatoes, like regular potatoes. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, you just kind of eat them because and they're I don't, there. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even like like regular sweet potatoes, you know, the orange ones. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not even really a fan of that's that. That's exactly the, what the I'm purple. talking about. When I came home, I started eating those and it just like, it, it didn't hit me right. I mean, they're all right. They're better than like a russet potato, but man. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's the life in being on the land, just picking that right, like that, like no matter what, that potato, those purple potatoes come from that island. It's just, it's so fresh. And that was something I was really keen on about being there is like every single day I was there, I would go to the farmer's market. It's more, it's inexpensive compared to the groceries, you know, from like a uh, uh, supermarket and I, I don't know what it was, but uh, just talking about that potato just like changed my mood. Like I'm just hearing about that. I loved them. Oh yeah, man. No, th- that's, that's the thing is, um, I mean, that's, that's a big reason why I hunt too. It's like this whole kind of mentality shift that I've had of just moving away from processed foods. I mean, I'm not some like saint who just eats perfectly. Dude, I go to drive through at McDonald's and I do that with no shame. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to go to McDonald's. But at the same time, you know, people might be kind of listening and be like, yeah, this dude's stupid. He just said McDonald's. I don't care. Um, yeah, forget that. My, they're lying to themselves. They're they're probably getting the McFlurry right now. They're just in denial. Oh, exactly. And and, and if not, they have McDonald's in some er, other area in their life. That everyone has a McDonald's. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. Everyone has their yeah their vice. And and so, but no, it you're 100% right. You know, like I get pumped when I think about growing my own food and harvesting my own food and especially the meat, man. Like there's, there's so much just junk that goes into the commercial meat market these days. And so for me, I can look at the ground and be like, that's what my animal ate. That's how I took it. That's how I processed, processed it. And that's how I cooked it. It's like the full circle. Um, and it just, it really does bring me a lot of peace of mind in terms of that. So, I mean, I haven't bought meat. We, we buy a little bit of bacon every once in a while because bacon's just delicious, hard, hard to make and just absolutely delicious. Um, and a lot of the, the wild pork that we're getting is lean enough that, you know, it's hard to make bacon off wild pigs. Because it's the, is it, it's the rib meat, right? Yeah, it's it's like the belly flap, basically. Okay, and yeah, these these pigs um, are more lean because they're running around mountains and oh, running yeah. away from you guys. Essentially, yeah, and they're a couple hundred pounds, you know, max. And these pigs that, like, let's just say Costco bacon is getting made out of, they're like seven, eight hundred pound like pigs that sit in a four by six cage for its whole life. Oh, bro, that's so rough. That just brings up the ethics in that meat as well. Like you're talking about the the freshness of the food, and it's and yeah. not only that you said gro- like you know you're into growing your own food, but then when it comes to your meats um, and your you know animal protein, it 
you cut that off. You're not saying you're farming your animals because essentially farming is just imprisoning the animal. Whereas you're letting an animal live its full life in the jungle. Like, would you prefer your cow to live in the jungle or at Parker Ranch? You know, I'm sure Parker Ranch yeah. is a lot better than most ranches, you know, here in the Midwest. But, you know, it, it, it's pretty wild that, you know, you grow your food, but then when it comes to your meat, you, a lot of people will say, hey, like, hunting's bad. It's like, what, you're going to eat a cheeseburger with a, an animal that grew up in a farm that's living its own shit. Whereas uh, David over here is climbing up into the mountains and taking an animal that's lived its whole life, you know, with, you know, however it wants to live. You know, it's being 100% its own animal. And you take it. Yeah, exactly. And you preserve it. And not only that, you're giving the meat out to your neighbors. I mean, that's a, it's a good thing you're doing. And a lot of people don't see that. Oh, exactly. And so, I mean, it's... It's really interesting with the people that I meet and the different um, mindsets that people have around all of that stuff. And I guess part of it is also just the lack of understanding of like any either either side of the process. Um, and and when I I mean some some hunters they can get crazy, you know, and be just full on you know, like let's destroy vegans. And then some vegans and vegetarians are just like crazy. And they're like, you hunters are all evil. You're psychopaths and you've got mental issues. And, you know, all there's like all this. Yeah. That's like, and kind of say like, it gets pretty violent. Even I've seen some of the comments, like, you know, even from spearfishing in my part, you know, you, Oh, wow. They say some wild, yeah. crazy stuff. You know, it's something you would never expect from someone that's eating plants. I don't know what's. Oh, I know. And someone like I'm not sure if you're familiar with Cameron Haynes. One hundred percent. You know who that guy is? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, like he's one. He's like one of the most humble, like ethical, solid guys that I've ever seen and listened to, and he gets death threats all the time. (laughs) I don't know what's in those plants, man. I'm like, oh my goodness, like. You know, and I, I totally respect someone who has made a life choice or a health choice or whatever it is to, to not eat meat. That's great. I, I fully respect you for that. That's cool. But don't bash me for my choices. I'm not going to bash you. And, that, and that's kind of a lot of the um, kind of what Cameron will, you know, preach as well is like, hey, you know, like I'm not going to rip you but like i i just am mind boggled i follow him on you know facebook and instagram and listen to his podcasts and whatnot and i and the things that people say it's just like oh my goodness and so it's really kind of um challenged me to uh to really kind of think about some of this stuff and like why do i hunt why do i kill animals why do i do this and and then if I am going to do it, what's my responsibility to like make sure an animal is ethically taken to, to not take the shot if I'm not comfortable? Um, you know, all those kind of things. And I have a lot of friends who, you know, they'll just be like, oh, I'm going to get my AR and just pump a pig, you know, full of like kill that thing, you know. And I'm just like, that's not me. Yeah. I'd rather not. I'd rather not take an animal 
and like shoot it in the guts and the hindquarters five times and it run off and die painful death. You know, that's, I'm not into that. I'd rather go hungry for a night. Yeah. And that's what, um, that's what the community needs of hunting. I mean, there's the pol- there's the polarizing factions of the two, you know, where the vegans, vegetarians, yeah. and there's the hunters, you know, whereas there is vegetarians and vegans that are, you know, a similar faction to what you are in the hunting community they just eat fruits and vegetables and they're doing their thing and they're like this is awesome i don't give a fuck what anyone else is doing which is like most of vegetarians and vegans it's just there's that percentage you know that are you know on cameron haynes's page going you know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna kill you and you know hope your family dies you know really dark stuff yeah and then when it comes to you there's a hunter like david and then there's the hunter that says, I want to just put a hole in a pig just because I am a, feel like doing it, you know, and it almost sickens me. You know, I, I when you say something like that, I can relate. I'm not, you know, a super big hunter. I'm interested in, you know, the whole topic of hunting because I spearfish and I see the same thing. And I have a, have a problem with um, finding people to dive with because there is a percentage of divers that, you know, I'll just see them. They'll get bored because we're not seeing any fish. And they'll just start shooting Garibaldi's, you know, and I'm just like, whoa, dude, like, I don't want to even be around you. Like, and I'll just, we'll never yeah. call them again, you know, you know, not, you know, be aggro to them or anything. Just, you know, that's not what I do. And then I'll go ahead my way until I find someone else that I can dive with. That's, you know, thinking about, you know, being more ethical. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've had those exactly same interactions diving before too. So it makes your stomach twist, right? Yeah. 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 And it's just, it's been cool. Like, um, it's been a a real journey of me kind of understanding that. And I think it ties back into what I was saying regarding, you know, like respecting the land and the culture and the people here is like, this is a resource. And, you know, it's almost like I, I still in my kind of brain and my heart, um, I guess recognize like a Hawaiian people and a Hawaiian kingdom or a Hawaiian nation. Um, and so, you know, all the resources here, you know, there, there's the side of like, Oh, this is the United States of America. Um, you know, they're public resources, but at the same time, there's this deeper respect for like the Hawaiian people and the locals who like, Hey, this is kind of their land and their resources. So there's this whole other level of respect that I want. It's almost like I'm respecting them by respecting their resources. Yeah. And I mean, if you were out there, you know, just putting holes in animals for fun, especially being white, I'm sure that wouldn't play out too well either. No. And, and I see it on Instagram even now too. Like there's people that I follow and I've seen recently like people who are dumping animals on the side of the road and it's like I've seen the head is gone. I've seen it. It's disgusting in Hawaii. And and it's I mean there's there's local guys putting people on blast because they're like, hey, this is this is not how we do it. Wow. But um but I mean, it's it's the same everywhere, right? It's it's not a Hawaii thing. It's like a human thing. Where like I'm sure it's the same in California, you know? Yeah, it's a it's a um, soul problem. It's not anything local, you know. It's a, yeah. a global problem. Just lost souls, you know. That's my understanding of it, or what I think of it. Yeah. No, I agree. 
And, um, yeah, so it, it's been, it's been really cool, man. It, it, it's kind of something it's, it kind of puts you in this kind of almost spiritual soul searching, um, mentality where you're like thinking a lot deeper than just your usual. Cause for me, it's, it's very, you know, spiritual and I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, but you know, I, I don't take it lightly. Like I'm taking a life. Obviously I don't put an animal on the same, you know, level as a human, but at the same time, I have a lot of respect that that's, uh, you know, created life that, you know, is worth respecting. Definitely. And it sounds like it. I mean, just the way you speak about the animals, it sounds like you're very humble about it and have a lot of respect for it. And it's not necessarily the case of the killing that you're after. It's more the fact of the whole circle of uh, the experience, the hike, the getting cold, get, you know, going through rough situations. And I think that's what you thrive. It, 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 that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was my whole story on, on Molokai with that trophy that I missed was it helped me really focus on like the bigger picture of it all. And then I'm walking out feeling all bummed. And then one of my best friends had just shot two bucks, you know, medium sized, smaller ones, but he was pumped and he was the one who organized the whole trip. And he was just elated because he got the biggest buck of the trip. And, and I, I was just stoked because I was like, you know what? Like he wouldn't have been bummed. But if I had walked up and I kind of just jumped on this trip last minute and I got the trophy, he would have been like, oh, man, you know? Yeah. And um, and, and it was cool because it really was. It, it kind of I, – I, I usually give him crap for, like, missing an animal or <laughs> shooting something random. And so it kind of gave him ammo. He's like, oh, man, I'm going to – I'm never going to let you live this one down because I'm always the one trying to do the, you know, like not take a shot or be super ethical. Or even the day after, like, I saw uh, uh, it was actually a really big buck, but it had a broken off horn. And uh, I decided to pass on it and not shoot it. Um, I had a perfect, easy, like, 160-yard shot on it. And I was just like, no, I don't I, – I want to shoot a big buck, but I don't want to shoot a broken off horn <laughs> buck just because it's like almost a trophy. Like if I'm going to shoot something, I want it to be meat. And I was in that part where like, Hey, I need to get some nice, I want to shoot some, a doe. And, um, and when I went home, he was all like, what, why didn't you shoot that? Oh my gosh. Oh, I would have shot that instantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, well, I know that man. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we're just in different places of our, like our hunting journey. Yeah. And you got to respect his and yours. And I think that's really cool that you, you took that decision. And is it how you said you took two, uh, does and your friend took three bucks. Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, well, actually, my friend took two, and then his son took one. Okay, so as a group, they got three. So, what is yeah. there a tag regulation? Is this public land, or I, I don't really know the specifics on Malika. I don't know too much about it. it. Do you have to draw tags, or? Well, so Molokai, Lanai, and Maui are all Maui County, and in Maui County, there's actually no regulations uh, covering access deer because they're considered. Uh, invasive and high risk, um, 
kind of pest animal because oh. there there's thousands man there there'd be like 20 to 30,000 deer on this island damn like it's, that's not a it's big island insane i've flown over it no it's not too big there's 6,000 people living <laughs> there so they're just getting tanked on by all these uh wild axis deer well they they live off them oh with, with the hunting community like, Oh yeah. Well, like everyone, you know, there, there'll be like that group of hunters and it's just like, Hey, I need some meat. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'll get you one next time I go out. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's no limit and there's no, um, I mean, ethics aside, you could go out there with a rocket launcher and shoot axis deer if you wanted to. Dang, that sounds pretty ethical. You, you, you wouldn't get anyone <laughs> running away, you know, with like a, a hurt foot, you know, just get a bunch of exploding. No. It'd be like beef stew. You just gotta go collect the pieces. Yeah, it would be like <laughs> hunting and bar- barbecue all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, wow, that sounds like a good time. Is there any uh, bird hunting on the island as well? Because I, I know I, I've you know driving along the Big Island, I would see. Uh, I pull off the road. I, I saw pheasant. I've seen plenty of doves and turkeys. I was so shocked to see that. I just did not expect turkeys in Hawaii. Oh yeah, I mean we have a huge, especially on the Big Island, we have a huge uh, Rio um, turkey population, and on Molokai it's the same thing. They've got tons. I mean we we're cruising around. I was seeing Franklins and Chuckers and Black Franklins. Saw ringneck pheasant, turkeys, um, and they're all game birds that were introduced into most of the islands. Actually, tomorrow I'm going up to Mauna Kea with a friend. Um, there's a couple more weeks of they open up a month before the bird season to run train and train bird dogs. Oh, wow. And so I'm going up tomorrow. We're going to run his dogs and, you know, just scout out some areas for bird hunting. And I actually just got into bird hunting maybe two seasons ago. And, um, it's just another fun way to, you know, hang out with friends and get some different meat and hunt some different things. So, I've really, I've been loving it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's very cool. It's a coincidence, actually. Tomorrow, um, I just got off the phone with my friend before this podcast. Um, we were planning on going. We thought tomorrow was the last day of dove season here, and it so happens it's today. But we're going to head up anyway and go for just some, some ground squirrels and rabbits, which is such a step down from all these cool stories you're talking about. But, you know, me and him are trying to transition to, into doing land hunting, you know, instead of just doing the spearfishing. So we got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I mean, I'm I'm kind of the same. I've, I've been kind of broadening my horizons and you know what some of some of my greatest memories in my whole life are hunting rabbits in new zealand as like a six seven year old kid just like totally starstruck with my cousins who had a 22 rifle and were was going hunting damn it's just the little things i I bet just being a kid and going after it would you guys like make some like stew out of it or something like that yeah, yeah, and my cousins would um, skin them out, and so in New Zealand as well, they have possums. They're very different from the U.S. North American possum. They're kind of slimmer and furrier. They actually have a really nice fur, but it um, are they larger? I don't than just the the cottontails. No, the 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 possums would be. I don't know how would you describe it. Oh, oh, you said a possum? Um, 
Yeah, opossum. So it would be just like think of your North American opossum. You know, gnarly, rat-looking, skin tail, nasty, evil Disgusting. animal. You know what? Sorry to interrupt you. Possum trapping is a huge thing in New Zealand, right? Yeah, and that's what I was saying. My my cousins would shoot possums and then sell the skins to the government. No way. Was there a bounty on them or was this something just for like the fur trade? Well, it was both. It was mostly a bounty um, because the government was trying to eradicate them because they're actually native to Australia, but they made it over to New Zealand and they um, were destroying a particular species of trees and eating um, eggs from native birds' nests. And um, But then it's actually turned into a really um, lucrative fur trade as well. And it's some of the softest, warmest kind of fur that can be woven into wool or you know whatever i've seen the 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 possums out there and i remember on a youtube there was a guy that was trapping those and i I looked at the possum like that doesn't look like a possum that thing had like a nice set of fur so it makes sense why they're you know you know going after it trying to get that fur it has a good uh, a unique type of fur that i've never seen before yeah yeah totally wild yeah you know, while we're on this topic, uh, my parents, they live in a place called Joshua Tree or like right outside Joshua Tree. And, you know, okay, they yeah. retired and right beyond the, you know, their house, they're on like the brink of just like, you know, a big forest of Joshua Trees and it's public land or um, uh, BLM land. And I was heading up there and I would see all these jackrabbits huge i don't know if you've ever seen a jackrabbit before in real life but they some of them get quite big almost like a small dog and i had just gotten a a prime bow and i was just you know getting used to it shooting and i think that bow shoots at about 320 feet, uh, feet per second something around there and I was shooting at these these jackrabbits, and I mm-hmm. was a fairly good shot. At, you know, like it was I was new to it, but I had been practicing a lot. I was really into this bow, and I'm shooting at these these rabbits. You know, every about thirty minutes, I'd get a good shot on one, take the shot, and they would literally step out of the way. They were that quick. I've never seen oh, anything wow. like that. You know, the the arrow would be going right for them, boom, and they'd step out of the way, and I I I had no idea. A, rabbit could dodge arrows that smoothly have you ever heard of anything like that yeah well it's a, it's actually something that i've heard about i haven't really experienced it too much but with some deer they'll people say they jump the string <laughs> um and so they they literally hear your bow and they'll just jump and get startled and you'll miss because of it wow and um I haven't really had that issue because most of the um, the animals that I've been hunting with a bow aren't that crazy. So I'm I'm kind of taking pigs who pigs have not the greatest eyesight. They have incredible sense of smell, but if you are you know pretty well concealed and got the wind in your favor. Um, you could have pigs come right up to you. Like I've had a friend who's been in the forest just stock still and like pigs have come up and sniffed his boots. Jeez. 
Um, and then with goats and the, sheep are sheep are pretty hard, but goats are you know if you move slow enough and you're relaxed, you can get pretty close to them too. Man, the goats out there are beautiful. I, I saw so many. Just I'd look up on the mountain; they have a huge rack. I, I didn't expect the goats to have such a big rack, of, like horns on them. It's pretty. Wild. Oh yeah. I don't know if you call those antlers. I'm not sure, but pretty wild. Yeah, just. I guess you'd say horns or yeah, horns. You know, for uh, this this recording, I was gonna. You kind of mentioned it about the controversial issues on hunting. You know, the eradications that are going on. But it almost seems like we could just split this into another podcast another time, and I could go. The list could go on about just what's happening in Hawaii on the topics of trying to manage pigs and all the the the, the game that's non native. And yeah, it's almost inspired me to actually make this podcast is hearing about that because it's something that's, you know, has not many people know about. I mean, is it very popular about the, the eradication going on in Hawaii or like do the locals know about it or is it just kind of in the hunting community that they're trying to protect the animals? Yeah, well, it's um, it is a big deal. And I, I think, yeah, it would be cool to kind of talk about it a lot more in depth. Um, maybe at another time, but it has been something um, a little bit more recently, and well, actually in the last year or two, we've actually got a lot more voice politically in terms of um, we have now a state game commission and the Big Island, um, the county of Hawaii, um, we have our own um, game board, game management board, and that's something that we never had, and that and that's been a big part of our issue is the the issues that we face have been basically driven by um, environmental groups. And um, don't get me wrong, I'm like 100% for saving native birds, um, native plants, native species. Um, that is super important. But there's this, this real um, stark contrast of 100% preservation of that and a hundred percent eradication of everything else. And there's been this real double standard of, um, what has been kind of called, uh, species of cultural significance, um, that have been saved or managed a little bit better. And a lot of those actually have to do with plants and some other species, but, um, in terms of ungulates, which are hoofed animals, um, the, the thing that's been happening is uh, turning a blind eye, turning back when there was a huge problem because of massive overpopulation, and then complete eradication. And, and that's just kind of been this endless cycle because um, us as hunters, we haven't um, we haven't picked up the ball and run with it. We have just sit back and complained um, and been like, "Oh, the DNR, DLNR is doing this, and these politicians don't care," and kind of just having this pity party. And and because we have this culture of um, very unlimited hunting here in Hawaii, like I can hunt. Um, 365 days a year here in Hawaii. Um, it's not like somewhere on the mainland where you have, let's say, small game, certain parts, 
in the summer you have um your fall you know elk or bear or deer and then your late season muzzleloader and then maybe spring turkey and you know there's very there's compared to us limited uh hunting seasons and so there's this entitlement that we have here um where we just kind of we just hunt so much that and there's so many animals um and we haven't really done anything or really cared too much because there hasn't been any restriction on us. I mean, I pay 20 bucks for my hunting license a year <laughs> and there's only, there's, there's one area that I hunt that you have to buy tags for. And the rest is like almost unlimited. That is and, unheard and of anywhere in the U S I mean, I mean, you know, oh. <laughs> you know, in the States, you know, on the mainland. 100%. And, and the reason that mainly is, is because the game mammals that we're hunting are non-native. So the way that they're listed in terms of regulations, they're invasive species. So when you look at somewhere like Texas, um, you can hunt exotics, axis deer, um, I don't know what are some of the other ones. Very similar game um, to what you're hunting in Hawaii, right? I mean, you just said oh, totally. Yeah, that's wild. But there, there's a bunch of exotic animals and hogs, for example, in Texas. There's no season. There's no limit. Um, there's no regulations. You just have to have a hunting license. Um, and so that's what happens here. So when there's a problem, the state just eradicates it because, let's say, the Sierra Club or the Nature Conservancy. Um, cares about this particular bird or this particular plant and they have massive funding and so they go into the court system and they go into the legislative system and they lobby for laws protecting these specific things and those laws always include the eradication of any non-native species and that always is the goats, the sheep, the cattle and the pigs. Wow. And in some and in some situations that's a very valid solution. But unfortunately, um and we've just had a situation on Oahu in Waianae where the Department of Land and Natural Resources, the DLNR, um was challenged by our, you know, the local people who pay their salaries and they have to listen to um in a public hearing, they were going to eradicate goats in the Waianae Mountains. And so there's big public outcry because there's a bunch of people that hunt goats there. And the whole thing was it's a watershed uh, mountain system. You look up at the mountain and it's dry. There's no water. It's not a watershed forest. Um, and they said, <laughs> okay, so well, we're going to – it's ridiculous. And, and so they're like, all right, we're not going to eradicate for three to four months. We're going to – reassess the situation and see how we can use the hunters to manage. Um, in their minds, hunters are free eradication. That's, that's the reality. Um, so they'll use hunters for sure. Um, and then what happens last week, they're flying, they're shooting from a helicopter with no notice when there's hunters in the area. And so it, it's like a really big deal. I mean, that goes for me, um, into a whole nother level of there's a bunch of hunters who were just told in public forum that we're not going to eradicate for three to four months who are in there hunting 
and the states flying in there with helicopters and automatic weapons are you just eradicating guns. automatic weapons man i've got i got the chills hearing that because you know i only hear so many like little things about it you know through the internet you know and i'm specifically looking for this topic you know because it upsets me you know it it, it turns my stomach the wrong way but hearing that these guys are in helicopters shooting rifles automatics you name it and they were the hunters were just in a public hearing like they had just spoken to you know uh what would it be the sierra club you know send these guys up here and now there's helicopters in the sky with gunmen who are, who are these people who are the gunmen you know just uh hired contractors snipers like military yeah yeah they're just public contractors and and basically before the dlnr has to or does anything they have to bring it to public hearing and so that's what it was it was a public hearing like for the um i don't know if it was the county or the city government you know whatever and um and and they i mean that that's the reality is that that's been the the real struggle is because um it feels very one-sided so us as hunters feel like um, the state guys are going like, oh yeah, hey, come and listen. Uh, we want to hear your testimony. And then they just never listen. And they, they always do the same thing. And then this one, just recently, um, if you look on my Hunting Hawaii uh, Facebook, I actually posted a video. And the, your your um, Instagram the, is at Hunting Hawaii? There's no, um, just, just plain and simple, at Hunting Hawaii? Yeah. All right. And then I have the same... I have the Facebook page with the same thing. It's just hunting Hawaii, two words. And and I reposted the head of the Waianae uh, Archery or hunt, Archery Hunting Foundation. He was actually up on the mountain and he's posted a bunch of stuff. Um, he's been a big advocate and going to all the hearings and everything. And this is just a dude who loves hunting yeah. and can't afford to buy meat all day. And so he hunts goats out there. Wow. Um, and... Um, and so it's starting to it, – it's been really cool because it's – like I said, in the past um, year to year and a half, we've actually started to wake up a little bit as um, these watershed forests have been fenced and eradicated and we've started to lose a lot of our hunting land. People are starting to be like, hey, um, what's happening here? And And for some people, they're just like – F that. And they just kind of throw their hands up and they're just like, I'm going to do whatever they want. And we have a huge culture of poaching here of people who just, um, do whatever they want. And, you know, if, if you take on the, the mindset of like, let's say you're a local native Hawaiian and this has been the land that you hunted and your family's hunted for a couple hundred years and then some U.S. government agency says, hey, you can't do that here. You know, that that's a different issue. I mean, obviously, I always want to obey the laws of the land. But that's like a whole different ethical argument, you know, that, and that's tough. And that's, that's not really what I'm talking about. But um, it's, it, it, it's a struggle. And it's um, unfortunately... Um, like I said, it, it's not good management. It's just straight eradication. And so I think ultimately it's going to start with us as hunters really banding together 
and um, I guess putting a bit more value on the animals and and I guess in some ways kind of relinquishing some of our rights and our freedoms to think we can do whatever we want and be like, okay, um, rather than a complete, you know, and kind of meet in the middle because there's been this struggle of complete eradication or complete freedom. And <laughs> and what is complete freedom? That, that's, you know, if King Kamehameha uh, requested these animals to be on the island to, you know, increase the amount of food on the island, you know, they're going against, you know, the Hawaiians, you know, it, it's in their oh, culture. Totally. It's, it's what the, the Hawaiians are non-native, you know, the, the actual people there, they didn't, people yeah. just didn't emerge there out of nowhere. You know, they came from, you know, another part of the world, you know, Pacific Islanders. And yeah, it, it's crazy to think that like, Hey, this, you know, this goat is from, you know, fill in the blank. Let's go up on top of the hill with a sniper rifle, you know, and then it's it's part of the people's food, if anything. And it almost feels like it's like uh, inhumane to be, you know, shooting these animals and they're not being used for food once they're being eradicated. Correct. Well, the the DLNR does issue salvage permits. Um, so a few people in this were emailed saying, Hey, your salvage permits are up. But the, and so they were like, okay, well that's, you know, going to happen, but there was no dates given. And usually when you sign up and you're approved for salvage permits, they'll email you and say, this is when the eradication is going to happen. Yeah. Um, but with those ones, there was no dates, but the DLNR said, Oh, but we did, we emailed people. Um, but the truth was, they didn't actually provide the dates. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of an important, it, it uh, is, uh, part of the email is to let people know when the helicopter eradication is happening. Not when people are up on the mountain, you know, on a hunt and they look in the sky and someone's shooting with a sniper rifle out of a helicopter. I mean, that is just wild. Oh, exactly. And they, and they do eradication of the sheep on Mauna Kea. Um, thanks to, you know, litigation by the Sierra Club 30 years ago. So our mountain's been gone from the most prime mouflon hunting in the world to small herds, you know, at 10,000 feet that are really hard to find now um, because the club wanted to save a bird. And so there's tons of people who don't have this resource anymore because of a bird that was getting affected um, by a drought, not by sheep. It's a Pelele bird, correct? I, I can't pronounce the word, the name right. Yeah, the Palila. Palila bird. And yeah. that made me think on this issue. Um, I didn't mean to dive into this, but it's just so hard not to talk about because it's, uh, you know, it's so against, you know, it's oh, against yeah. what so many people believe in. I mean, all like, you know, vegetarians are saying, you know, don't eat meat, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the next thing you know, like, I'm sure there's a percentage of people, members in the Sierra Club that are vegetarian. I wouldn't doubt that. And they're trying to save a bird. Oh, yeah. but at the same time, they're committing murder, you know, on thousands and thousands and thousands of, you know, animals up on that mountain. And yeah, and the, and the majority of them who actually... Um, let's say you get a salvage permit, they go up and shoot 150 animals. Um, there's like a hundred that have seven or eight bullet holes in them and are just like destroyed. Oh my gosh. So it's almost like they, they're taking joy in this. 
Not, not. I'm not saying the Sierra Club, but that contractor individually. You know, there's. Yeah, well, that that's the state. So that's that's the state department. But they, but doing they that. are funded. Are they funded through uh, the Sierra Club? How do they? How does the Sierra Club take part? So, in that? I know you mentioned it. The but the deal with. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, with this with this one, it's actually um, the Sierra Club. Um, I think they sued. Um, and basically took it to federal court. So the judge made a federal order. So basically, if the State Department doesn't do this, they're in violation of a federal order. So their their hands are kind of tied with it. Like that's it's, it's not like the State Department is doing anything wrong. They actually have to do it because of a federal order. And, and that's something that I think needs to be revisited because over 30 years, there's been no impact on the Palila um, population at all. And there's been a massive impact on the sheep population. And yes, I, I 100% agree that there needs to be good management of the sheep population on that mountain. Um, but... This is only continuing to happen. I believe it's a waste of taxpayer dollars because there's a federal court order in place and hunters don't have, you know, a couple million dollars to go and challenge it in court. <laughs> yeah, surely not. That's our issue. And it's, it, that is 100% our issue is we don't have lawyers and the funding that these environmental groups have to challenge and lobby legislation. I mean, there. I mean, I feel there's enough of that community that's against what's going on that something could change. You know, that if some. Well, yeah, yeah, it is, and that and that's the that's the really cool thing. Another really great um, Facebook group you can check out is the Hawaii Sportsman Alliance, and that's a bunch of these guys. And there's there's one guy in particular. Uh, his name's Ryan Kohatsu. And, and he's actually a member of that state game commission and he's, he's actually from Hilo and, and he's just been, he grew up hunting Mauna Kea and the sheep up there devastated that this is basically that hunting has ended like his childhood hunting and he's taken a lot of time to really invest and um, really fight for this stuff and fight for those commissions and those boards to actually happen. So we do kind of have this movement. And like I mentioned in the past year, year and a half that people are starting to wake up to the realities of what it would mean to actually save hunting here in Hawaii. Wow. I mean, I'm glad someone's, you know, stepping up to the plate on that. I believe I've seen some of his videos before too, on the whole conflict. He was actually the guy who got me informed about it. He had a nice YouTube movie about it correct yeah 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 that's that's a great video i mean if you um want to post a link to that video just the of the sheep of mauna kea um he's also an awesome storyteller an awesome uh videographer and you know just a guy who's like hey i want to figure this out and just kind of started doing it um and um yeah we have we have a a, a big uh you know, I have a debt of gratitude to pay that guy because he's he's really um, just been someone who's been super vocal and helped kind of rally people around some of these issues. Yeah, I'll have to put a link in for your. Uh, I'll make, definitely add your uh, your Instagram and your information on there as well. 
Um, and you said again, his name was uh, Ryan Kohatsu. Kohatsu. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in there. And man, time flies by when you're doing these podcasts, it seems. You know, you touched on a lot of hot topics that, you know, a lot of people would love to hear about. You know, the, Hawaii is a, a secret place. You know, it's a, a lot of people know about like the outdoorsman part about it, but a lot of people don't, you know, so it's. It's cool, and I, I thank you a lot for coming on here and, you know, sharing some wisdom. It seems like, it almost seems like you were born for this, talking on this like you're a radio information expert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's funny. It's, it's actually kind of, this is my, the first podcast I ever did, but I've been, I've actually been thinking about this a lot because, you know, guys like Ryan are like challenging me because I don't want to just sit around and see, you know, my my vision is like, Right now, if we do nothing, my kids aren't going to have anything to hunt. We're not going to have public land. It's going to be forgotten. And, you know, it takes, you know, it takes, you know, every individual counts, you know, every, you know, just taking steps forward like this, it sounds like. And someone with your knowledge, you you know, you definitely have the, the capability of, you know, changing people's opinions and minds. Yeah, so that that's just been something it's is with my Instagram, you know, I'm just trying to portray a lot of the things that I've kind of talked about on this podcast um, and just be someone to show a responsible and ethical hunter and someone who is generous with what they catch and um, tries to be a voice for other hunters and be a good example. And, um, and so it is actually really funny because I don't know when it was, maybe two years ago now or a year and a half ago, I was like, yeah, I want to, I, I had my personal, like my name, uh, Instagram and I would post some hunting pictures and I, I got a bunch of friends all over the world and every once in a while people were like, what the heck, why are you killing out? You know, and like <laughs> freaking out on me over my hunting stuff. Um, cause I have a lot of people that I've worked with and gone to school with and, done all sorts of stuff with yeah, just different avenues um, of life you know someone that's never seen it and how it's done and what's going on oh yeah and i'm i'm posting pictures with my family and my wife and surfing and they're like oh that's all good and then there's like oh dead animal what the heck and so i was like well this whole hunting you know and i've, I've always been a hunter gatherer I mean, I spearfished and fished my whole entire life. Um, I just moved into rifle and archery in the past five years um, intensively. Um, And I was like, I just want an avenue, you know, where I can share what I love. And that's, you know, hiking, fishing, diving, boating, shooting, you know, all that kind of stuff. The living off the land the the ethics and that kind of stuff and i was like i'm gonna type in hunting hawaii you know just kind of like laughing like that's not going to be available on instagram and it was (laughs) and i kind of like what are you (laughs) on hawaii hunt hawaii hunters and they're an awesome account um and they just they repost um hunters and fishermen all through hawaii and, and so I was, I saw that and I was like, oh, okay, that's taken. I, well, what about hunting Hawaii? Because that's what I'm doing. I'm hunting in Hawaii. And as soon as it was free, I was like, almost jumped off my chair. I was like, oh my gosh. And I just instantly created the account and kind of just started, 
you know, posting guns and knives and gear and my hunting. And, you know, I don't have a big following at all like some people do. Um, but it's it's been a cool avenue for me to kind of just express a little bit about what I love and what I do. I do think it's not a huge following, but it's a, it's quite a number. And I think it's a tight knit, uh, a tight knit amount of followers. Like they like enjoy your page. You know, a lot of people have a hundred thousand followers, but like no one respects who they are. They don't even stand for anything. It's like you're standing for clearly, you know, ethical hunting and hunting Hawaii. You know, <laughs> it's like your destiny to have yeah. that, that, uh, that name for Instagram. That's funny. Yeah. No, it's been cool. And, and like I said, we were talking about before is I've, I've met some awesome people through Instagram, you know, and, and just even like in person got to hang out with people because of my Instagram. And my first trip to Molokai was a guy that I met. He was a guide and I was just talking to him about hunting there and he's like, hey, if you're over over here um, in the off season, I'll take you out. And I'm like, well, how much is that? You know, he's like, no, 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 you're you're like me. You're a provider. You're you're a hunter. You're a local. I'll I'll just we'll, we'll just go. Don't worry about it. Ah, oh, that's so I was, awesome. I was like, and and he took us out on like six or seven hunts over like four or five days, and just had a blast. And that was just from interacting with, you know, he's a local guy but very similar to me he's just like i just hunt i love it i love gear i love being out in nature and i love providing for my family man what a good uh just window to meet a bunch of people that are into the same thing as you are oh yeah it, to take you so i love it i mean it even this right now is like a highlight of my week because it's I don't get to talk to a lot of people who are passionate about, you know, the outdoors and, uh, you know, hunting and gathering and gear and that kind of stuff. And 100%, I feel uh, like just an oddball, you know, in just modern day society, every day I go to work, you know, I'm just like thinking about all these things. Like, I'm like, I want, I want to like sew up my wetsuit and I'm going to get these boots and I'm going to go hike this mountain. And like someone's oh next to me, just like, you know, just talking shit. Like, what are we, you know, what are we going to drink this weekend? You know, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's hard to come across people that are, you know, dedicated to this and whether it be hunting, whether it be fishing, whether it be just foraging, uh, mushrooming, anything, anything that involves just going outside into the forest. Like I, when someone that the light clicks in my head, like I am just 100% interested in what they want to hear, like talk about. Oh yeah. 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 And it's been, it's been a good time hearing the stories. Like when you were talking about New Zealand and your upbringing and the history of Hawaii, I mean, dude, like I would pay to hear that. So, <laughs> you know, that's how I feel about the, uh, the whole, you know, reaching out and meeting new people on the internet. Yeah, well, we got to do this again because I, I got I got a bunch of fun stories. We didn't even get into fishing and spearfishing yet. You know, I didn't realize how hard it was. Like, I didn't realize how much time it takes to get, like, all the stories out, man. I feel like it seems like you just have a whole dictionary of things to talk about that I'd, the podcast needs oh, to yeah. hear. No, I mean, we, <laughs> we got halfway through maybe our, our talking points and – I think, uh, yeah, we got to do this again, man, because uh, 
I got some some fun spearfishing stories. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for uh, coming on to the podcast, and we'll have you back on as soon as possible. Right on. Thanks, man. All right, brother. You take care.